Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41, and as you do so, just a reminder, next Wednesday night, uh, this sanctuary is going to be flooded with children. Next Wednesday night, all week, Monday through Friday, is vacation Bible school, so we will not have our normal Wednesday night Bible study. So um, if you come, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to come and see John Deming dressed up and a bunch of people from the church dressed up. They're going to do a play here on stage for the kids, and they go out and play games, and they're kind of run all over the whole place. So they, they basically take the whole building, and outside there's water stuff going on. They're playing games and really enjoying themselves. So that's next Wednesday night. But tonight, here we are in Genesis chapter 41 as we study the life of this man, Joseph, and we see his integrity and his his faithfulness, and, and really his forgiveness. And he's been a, a wonderful study, and we continue his as just studying about him. Uh, tonight we come to a place where uh, he's in, in the prison. I, I call it the pit, only because he was thrown into a pit by his brothers, and now he's in the prison. And all during this time, God is with him, and God is shaping him, and God is forming him, and God is developing, and you think, well, gee, what, what's the deal? The guy's a man of integrity. Why would he need more? Well, God has a purpose, and God doesn't leave us where we think we're just right uh, with the Lord. He wants to shape us and build us in character, and that's exactly what he's doing in this man's life, because in just a few years from the time he's 17 till the time he's 30, that's when we meet him tonight, at 30 years old, He's going to be the second most powerful man in the world. Really, Egypt, they control the world at this time. And he's just second to Pharaoh. So God is developing him in him all of these character traits that will help him to be the leader and the administrator that God's gifted him to be. And as I read this story again, I just thought about how you know, oftentimes you, you get saved and you instantly want to be Billy Graham or you get saved and you instantly want to, you know, uh, do something huge for the Lord. And, and yes, God has a plan for you. He has a place for you in the body of Christ, but sometimes it takes years to get there. And, and he wants to shape you and mold you and make you in the person he wants you to be. Now, in this story, we find that Joseph is in this prison, but the prison is in Potiphar's house. You remember, Potiphar is the captain of the guard. He's, he's the special agent to Pharaoh. And in his place, maybe there's a dungeon under his house. It sounds like it's a large compound because people are held there. These two men that, for some reason, the Pharaoh didn't trust them, the butler, the cupbearer, and the baker. They did something wrong. They offended Pharaoh. Maybe they tried to poison him, and Pharaoh didn't know who it was, so he throws him into prison. And it's Joseph who's in prison, and because he's such a man of integrity, and because it's Potiphar's house, he finds himself kind of running the prison. He's a prisoner running the prison. And he sees these two guys. You remember our story last time. He sees these two guys, the butler and the baker, and they're like worried because they have a dream. And they don't understand the dream. And it's, it's Joseph who asks God. And God reveals the dream to Joseph. And Joseph reveals the dream to these two men. They were so fearful, they didn't know what was going to happen. But they, and they had these dreams. It's back there in chapter 40. But you'll remember, 
as Joseph reveals the dream, he says, you know, the cup cupbearer, the butler, you're going to be replaced. You're going to go back after a few days. You're going to go back to your place, and you'll, you'll be back in the, in the palace of Pharaoh. But unfortunately, Baker, uh, three days, you're going to hang, and, which is exactly what, what happened. But Joseph had always honored the Lord through his obedience, and God is now going to honor him. It's been many years, but God is going to honor Joseph. And I love the story, the story of Joseph, because oftentimes you see uh, the character of these other, his father and his father's father and grandpa, you know. You see these men, and they, they're, they're whiners, they're complainers, they're connivers, they're, they're, you know, manipulators. And here we have Joseph. There's no complaining. There's no whining. We don't see it. It's not listed for us in the scriptures. And this is a principle that we see all the time. And let me just throw this scripture up just to, again, this is the intro to the study. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, those who honor me, I will honor. Joseph becomes a great example of that. If you live your life and honor the Lord, he's going to honor you. This is a principle that's all, and we see it in this man, uh, Joseph. He's in prison, but he's honoring the Lord. And as he honors the Lord, God elevates him to a place of leadership in the prison. And as he honors the Lord, God's going to elevate him to this new place of, of administrator over the whole nation. And God has a great, great plan for him. He's going to take him from the pit to the palace. We see that in the text tonight. So let's ask God's blessing and we'll just jump in and read. Father, thank you for the Bible study tonight, this text of Scripture, and I pray, Lord, that we would engage right now, that we would be here, that we would read your word, and that you would speak through the word that you've spoken. Teach us, help us, and God, may we derive and understand and, and gain uh, great wisdom from the text tonight that we can apply to our lives. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see here, my first point, is there are a lot of verses here, as you see, 57 of them. We'll cover them pretty quickly in big chunks. But this first section here is Pharaoh's disturbing dreams. He has two dreams, and they disturb him. Then it came to pass, verse 1, at the end of two full years. The two full years of, of Joseph's imprisonment, that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of this river seven cows. They were fine-looking. They were fat. And they fed in a lush meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river. They were ugly and skinny and gaunt and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt or skinny cows, they ate up the seven fat cows. So Pharaoh woke up. It woke him up, that dream. It woke me up, too. In verse 5, he, he slept again. He fell back to sleep. He dreamed, dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk. It's like corn, like corn, plump and good. Though. Then, behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads, they do the same thing that the cows did. They devour the seven plump and full heads, and so Pharaoh, Pharaoh wakes up again, and indeed, it was a dream. Now, Joseph was in prison, forgotten by the royal butler for two years now. But God had a purpose in the delay, and now the purpose is explained here. Uh, you know, God wanted 
this whole thing to happen. God, God wants this thing to happen. And God moves, and his timing is perfect. Look at verse 8. So it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for the magicians. Pharaoh can call magicians. Now, not the kind that pull rabbits out of hats. Different. I'll explain it in just a minute. But he calls these magicians of Egypt, and, and they were wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could really interpret them for Pharaoh. Nobody could tell him what, what they mean. Now, again, verse 1 tells us that Joseph was in prison for two years. Why? Why was he there? Because the butler forgot. He forgot about it. Remember when, when uh, Joseph revealed the truth to the butler? Oh, you're, this, everything's going to be fine. After three days, you're going to be reinstated to your position. And the butler's like, oh, thank you. What can I do for you? And Oh, just remember, when you get to see Pharaoh again, remember me. But he didn't remember him. <laughs> and Joseph spent two years. Why didn't he remember? I believe that God, God sovereignly made him forget. Took, his, took Joseph out of his mind because God had a purpose for these two years of imprisonment for Joseph. These, this time of delay, this, this story that we're going to read really explains it all. God had a purpose for him there in prison. Again, so two dreams by Pharaoh, two disturbing dreams, and they were so upsetting that it woke him up twice. He sees part of the dream and then he wakes up, and then he goes back to sleep, sees another dream and he wakes up. So they disturb him. Who knows if, if you know, how, how he awoke. But, but both of the dreams are really interesting in their content. If you look at them and think about them, cows, the east wind, the meadow they were grazing, and the, the Nile Valley. You have to get in your mind the, the Nile. From the middle of Africa drains toward Egypt and finally there to the Mediterranean this great, it's a great drainage there. And all this water, nothing, it never rains in Egypt, by the way. If you've seen Egypt and the pyramids, and you don't see a lot of vegetation around there because it's a desert. But this water comes from the central portion of Africa, and it flows into the Nile River Valley. And there are a lot of little fingers, and you've seen the pictures before of the Nile River Valley. Very fertile. All of the soil, I mean, it's a desert, nothing grows there, but all the soil comes from the mountaintop, fertile soil. The water comes down, and it makes this lush green place, this meadow, for these cows to eat. So this is a very Egyptian dream is the point here. Even the east wind is famous there, like we have our Santa Anas. They have this east wind in Egypt. So these are all typically... Egyptian in their way. But these dreams, these dreams here, they have a meaning. There's like a puzzle. But seven lean cows remaining after, after consuming this, the seven fat cows. And in verse 7, you have this thin grain consuming the plump grain. And what makes these dreams puzzling? Number one, it's not normal for cows to eat cows or grain to eat grain, right? You, I mean, when you read that, and I, when I read, read that too, I'm, I got hungry. I wanted a dessert. I thought of skinny cows. I kept thinking of skinny cows. You ever have one of those skinny cows? Those things are good. But here's what would happen if a, a normal skinny cow would eat more 
he would get fat, right? Or you know, that's the whole idea. But that's this. This is backwards. It, it doesn't work that way. Something's wrong, and the king, Pharaoh, he doesn't know what it is. He just knows this is really bizarre, and he doesn't understand it. And he he gets these dreams back to back, and so he's like, I I, I need to know what what they mean. God is speaking to the king. This is God revealing something to the king. And God did that a lot. And I remember telling you last time, why does, did God speak in dreams? And why shouldn't we, you know, try to dream things and hear God's voice? Because we didn't have the text developed. Everything's new. You have this pagan Canaanites and Egyptians. Even the religion of the Jews is just at its formidable stages. Think about that. So God's using dreams. He's speaking through dreams to people. Does he speak through dreams now? I don't really think he needs to. Maybe he, he can. I'm not saying he can't. But he's, you've been given the word of God. Remember I told you that last time. Very important for you not to, to get weird on dreams and strange on somebody's prophecy. And You've got God's word. And it's God's word that we plant ourselves in. But back during this time, dreams. And the king didn't know what was going on. It was a really weird dream. So the king does what all the kings used to do. They had these wise men around them. And he goes to the wise men. They're called magicians here. But these guys, although they're wise and educated, they're clueless. They have no idea what's going on. The word magicians here in the Hebrew is kartom. Kartom sounds kind of like cartoon, but it's kartom. And it really has to do with being a diviner or an astrologer. These guys are wise men. They went to school. They learned the stars. They read the stars and palms and all that stuff, but they didn't know what was going on in Pharaoh's dream. You can, I can just see them. I, I thought to myself, now I wonder, some of them are sitting, you know, you know trying to figure it out. Some of them are, are chanting and jumping up and down. Some of them are looking up into the heavens, and they, but none of them know what's going on. So there's this group of magicians, plural, and they're doing all these weird things trying to figure out what's going on, but they can't do it. And it's right at that moment when there's all these people around Pharaoh trying to help, trying to help him out, that the butler goes, Do Joseph. I mean, that's what happens here. Notice in verse 9, my next point, the butler remembers Joseph. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with me and he put me in prison in the house of the captain of the guard, both myself and the chief baker, remember that Pharaoh? We each had a dream in the night and he and I and each of us dreamed according to the interpretations of our own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dream for us to each man. He interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, it happened. It happened just the way he said. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. You remember that Pharaoh? You know, Pharaoh probably had a lot of people hang, so he might not have remembered, but it's a couple of years before. Then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And notice what Joseph does to himself at the end of verse 14. He shaved, changed his clothes, and then presented himself or came to Pharaoh. Now, here's, the, here's something we can learn from this real quick. Let's just stop and make some application. 
It's always during the time that we think that God doesn't remember us that we find out he's been working all the time. It's in those times that we think, God, did you forget? I haven't heard from you, God. Where are you, God? And, 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 and then you find out later that, oh, the Lord was leading. The Lord was guiding the whole time. And that's really what's happening here. God is leading Joseph. He hasn't left Joseph, but it's been two years since the butler finally remembered him. And I believe that during this time in Joseph's life, just like ours, God is working. He is developing. I like to think, you ever whittled, you know, a little bit of time? You take a little bit of that stick away. Or if you chisel on rocks, we don't really do that very often, but if you've ever seen a, a sculpture, you know, an artist can look at a, a rock that we just see a rock and they can see a shape in it and they cut away all the things that don't belong there and then there it is, this sculpture. God is doing something and, and it takes a while to do those things. He develops our character, but notice he develops our character in a certain place, in the pit, in the prison, in the valley. Think about this. Fruit grows in the valley. We love to be on the mountaintop, don't we? Yeah, you know, everything's good. I'm healthy. I've got money in the bank, you know. But that's not where fruit always develops. Fruit is developed in the valley, in hardships, in trials. We see that over and over. God has a plan, and he wants to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. What is God doing in my life? Why is it so hard? He's developing the character, the attributes of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the goal. The goal isn't to be like your pastor or your favorite movie star or the best looking, but the goal is to be like Jesus Christ for every believer. And so that's what he's doing here. Paul, how was he able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? How was he able to say that? Because he was in prison. He was beaten, he was thrashed, he went through all of these times where God was developing who God wanted him to be. God took him through all those things, hardships, prisons, and trials. The writer of the Hebrews says this, look at this verse behind me, I love this, one of my favorites, it's in Proverbs 3, and by the way, just really quick, we're going to go into Proverbs, we're going to do Proverbs, uh, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12. There it is. We're going to go into the, the Proverbs um, on Sunday night when we're done with Isaiah. I think we've got three more Sunday nights in Isaiah. Then we have a concert, and then we're going to jump into the Proverbs. So we'll be studying through the book of Proverbs on Sunday night. But I think it's in Proverbs 3, and then the writer of the Hebrews copies what it says in Proverbs. But here it is. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It's painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields What happened? What? There it is. Is it on? Is it being shifty? Or are you just playing with me here? Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, it, when God is training you and me, when a parent trains a child, that we kind of understand that. It's sometimes painful, not only to the parent, but to the child. And after the child gets it, after we as God's children get it, 
There's the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes to all of us. I love that, that verse. So after two years in prison, Joseph's not complaining. He's not whining. There's nothing said about that. He's brought out of prison, but he does something that shows great respect to Pharaoh. Now, you almost have to look at any kind of Egyptian art. When you look at Egyptian art, you normally see pharaohs and they have clean-shaven faces, maybe a goatee. A lot of them have goatees. The goatee was, was a way of showing that he was the king, and they would dress him up into King Tut. Some believe didn't have any facial hair. He was, a, he was so young, he didn't even have facial hair. But in Egypt, they shaved. Jews, even to this day, don't shave. They don't shave. For them, that beard means something, that you don't cut the hair on your face. But in Egypt, they did. And so this Hebrew cuts his you know, beard off to show respect to Pharaoh. I think that's awesome. It's kind of a Uh, a mark of respect. He's showing respect to the office of Pharaoh. He shaves himself. He he changes his clothes to show respect. And then look at verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph said this. Notice what he says to Pharaoh. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? He didn't say, well, you know, uh, Barney Fife. Well, you know, I can do this. No, he goes right. He says, listen, uh, it's not me. The humility of Joseph, the integrity of Joseph. And he says, it's not me. God's going to answer Pharaoh and he'll give you an answer of peace. I love the fact that, that he doesn't say, you know, I'm the only one that could, could answer your prayer. And, you know, let's make a deal. You get me out of prison, I'll answer the dream. You, you give me a wife and a bunch of riches, and, and I'll answer your dream. He doesn't, have, he doesn't say that. Why? Because he's been obedient. He's accepted prison. He's accepted the life that God's given him, and he's living it to the glory of God. I love that about this this man. He said, it's not me. He's learned that God is in control here. And so he's basically saying, you know, God, God is going to answer your prayer. So Joseph's only concern was for the glory of God. And that's why he tells him, God's going to answer you. God is going to answer, give you an answer of peace here. And I always remember, one of the things I remember about Pastor Chuck Smith and the days I listened to him on cassette tape and, and uh, I've seen him in person many times. God, I should have put my picture up with him. I had my picture with Pastor Chuck, you know. And it was just wonderful to meet and talk. And I led worship years and years ago at Costa Mesa for Pastor Chuck at a, at a special meeting. That was, it was just a privilege. But I remember him saying over and over and over, he said this, to God be glory great things he has done. Pastor Chuck, look at, look at the missions that you have. You have like these 300 missionaries all over. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Very humble. Oh, that we would have that same attitude. When somebody says, wow, did you do that? And you say, well, I, I did it. But to God be the glory for great things he has done. 
to give God glory. And that's exactly what Joseph is, is doing here. Joseph doesn't claim to handle it. He doesn't say, I, I can do this. He, he says, God will do it. He gives all credit to God. We need to have that kind of humility and praise the Lord instead of promoting ourselves. I, I love that thought. That we would like do the same thing that Job did. Here's another verse here, Job 1, 21. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. So blessed be the name of the Lord. My car won't start. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Someone dies in my family. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. I lose my job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see that humility there? We need to be like that, brothers and sisters. So important for us to, to understand that. If we're going to have the joy, the abundant Christian life that God wants us to have. We have to, to trust him. We just have to bless him for whatever he brings into our life. This is really what I'm getting at here and, and what I'm seeing in this study is Joseph understood something that sometimes I, sometimes we have a hard time understanding. That the greatest gift that we can receive is not just the blessing of a new car, not just living in a nice neighborhood or having a great job or, or even having a healthy body. Those things aren't as important. The greatest blessing that we can have is to know him and to serve him. Really, that's the truth. It all boils down to that because everything else breaks down, including the breaks down, doesn't it? It's knowing the Lord and serving him and glorifying him. The psalmist writes this. I love this Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire. Besides you, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He understands that principle too, doesn't he? And I, I, I just wanted to share that with you. I wonder how many of you can say that tonight. How many of you are content? Godliness with contentment is great what? Gain. See, we know that. It's great gain. Want great gain in your life? Just be content with where God's placed you. The Lord gives and takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Joseph, he's humble. And Pharaoh is eager for Joseph to tell him his dream. So here, here's my next point, verse 17. He's going to tell him the dream. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, here's my dream. I stood on the bank of the river, obviously the Nile, the great river, suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came out after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I've never seen in the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. And I woke up. And then in my second dream, I suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk. Again, it's corn. If you think of corn, have you ever grown corn before? I think I've been lucky to get two heads of grain, seven heads of grain. That shows there's going to be a lot of plenty for the first seven years. That's the point. And then the seven grain, these seven stalks, there's also these other seven heads that were withered and thin and blighted by the east wind. They sprang up, verse 24, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one that could explain it to me. And again, 
my next point here is Joseph's going to interpret now, but notice he gives credit to God. He's going to give the credit to the Lord. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So he gives God the credit. This is God. Pharaoh, listen, God is getting your attention. God is speaking to you. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are really one and the same. And the seven thin, verse 27, and ugly cows which come up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. And then, and then notice how Joseph says he reminds Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven Years of great plenty will come throughout the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream, verse 32, was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass." So there it is, seven years of abundance followed by seven years of severe famine. Joseph, again, he's acknowledging to Pharaoh, and it's God. God is speaking to you, Pharaoh. God is giving you this insight. God's giving you this wisdom here in this dream. And he's told you twice. The reason he's told you twice, Pharaoh, is so that you'll really get it. This is very important for you. I hope you understand what he's trying to, to tell you. So the purpose of the famine, even the purpose for the two years in prison for Joseph here, uh, there, God has the whole world in his hands. He's got Joseph's life in his hands, shaping, forming him, preparing him to be the administrator of all of Egypt. He's got the king and the people in his hands. The whole world really is in the hands of God. So now Joseph, he's explained the dream, and now he's going to give advice. So he explains the dream, and my next point here, Joseph advises Pharaoh, verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Notice his boldness. I love this about Joseph. He doesn't say, uh, uh, by the way, King, can I, can I interrupt for a second? Can I just tell you what maybe you should do? He doesn't say that. He just launches right in. So let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. He didn't say, uh, I can handle this. I can do this for you. He just said, you need to be really wise, Pharaoh. You need to pick the right man. Let Pharaoh do this, verse 34, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And then let them gather, verse 35, all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in cities. So don't just have one central location with food, but diversify lots of food in all the different cities. Let's, let's build up and stoke and get all this food together in the cities. Verse 36, then that food shall be as a reserve for the land, for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. And again, his confidence, his boldness, that's what we're seeing here. There's a crisis coming, and this is what you really need to do, Pharaoh. He gives him advice. Why? Well, the magicians, they, 
They had nothing to say about the dream. I don't think Joseph thinks much about them. So he, he tells Pharaoh, interprets the dream, and then immediately goes and says, this is what you should do. This is what you need to do. As, as you've told me the dream, this is exactly what, what needs to happen. I love the fact that he has this confidence. But, but note this. Note this. Look at verse 37 and 8, where his confidence comes from. So the advice was good, verse 37, in the eyes of Pharaoh and in all his servants. The wise men are there. They're hearing all of this. I believe Potiphar's there. They're all hearing this, the, why, the wisdom of, of this young man. And Pharaoh, verse 38, said to his servants, can we find such a one as this man? Notice what he says, a man in whom is the spirit of God. I I love that reference there. How on earth could pagan Pharaoh, an astrological worshiping Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, a pagan, how on earth does he know anything about the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and this, his son, Joseph. How does he know that? Well, remember the captain of the guard? Remember Potiphar? Way back, it's, it's, it's all the way back in chapter 39. Flip back to chapter 39 and look at verse 2. Chapter 39, just a page or two back. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard, or the master, the Egyptian. And his master, notice, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. Potiphar was an eyewitness of the Spirit of God working through this young man. His testimony was sure. His integrity his honesty, his faithfulness, everybody knew it. Everybody in the household knew it. The prison guard knew it. Gee, you're such a nice guy. I mean, I've known you for all this time. You've been here in Potiphar's house. You you just watch the prisoners. I'm going to go to lunch. Two years, he's running the prison. Everybody knows he's faithful. So here you have Pharaoh. He has his wise men all around him, going back to chapter 41, Joseph interprets the dream. He tells him what to do. And, and Pharaoh's going, guys, guys, all you guys, the wise guys that surround me, um, is there anyone wiser than this guy? I mean, listen to his plan. And they're all going, wow, this, it's awesome. It's, it's off the scale. That'll do it. That's perfect. All of the things that he said will do it. And then Pharaoh looks at Potiphar. I'm, I'm adding here to the text. Potiphar's telling him, you you better listen to this guy because when he was in my house, the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And then Pharaoh says, because the Spirit of the Lord is with you. It was witnessed in these people's lives that the Spirit of the Lord was in this man. This is really the first reference in the Bible for the Spirit of the Lord to be working. And we see the Spirit of the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament. He would come upon a king and leave. Come upon a person and leave. The Holy Spirit's work was to come and leave. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells forever in the believer. As long as we live, he's in us. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful truth. In the Old Testament, he would come and leave. In this case, Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was filled with the Holy Spirit. He says it, 
right here in, in the text. Now, here's where we get from the pit, from the prison, to the palace. Joseph is, is going to go from, from the bottom, the, the last in his family, the hated in the family, and he's going to be put in charge of Egypt. I love this. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. I mean, this is phenomenal. He's giving all the power, all the authority of all of Egypt to this one Hebrew. Unbelievable. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand. Pharaoh took his personal signet ring. The, all of the authority was in that ring. It, it represented Pharaoh's signature. Pharaoh said it. Life and death was in the hands of this signet. And he takes it off his finger and he gives it to Joseph. Fantastic. And he clothed Joseph in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Wow. He's now second in command of all Egypt. This young man thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, so faithful to his master Potiphar, thrown into another pit, so faithful that he's ruling the prison. And now he's interpreted the, the Pharaoh's dream and he's been elevated from the pit to the palace. He is ruling and reigning now under Pharaoh. Here's the application, uh, a couple of things I just want to make, uh, draw out from the text so that we might learn some things even tonight. Number one, it took 13 years of this young man's life to move from the pit to the palace. 13 years have elapsed. And although Joseph seemed to have gifts and talent and integrity, he seems like a great guy, doesn't whine, doesn't do any of those things. God was shaping him and molding him for this leadership place, starting in a house with Potiphar and with a few things. And because he was faithful with a few things, he gives him more. Sound familiar? In the New Testament, Jesus does the same thing for all that are faithful with a few things and are given more rewards. And this man, I, I love it, yeah, again, he's elevated to this place because God has this perfect timing for him. Does he complain? Does he think that God's forgotten him? 13 years. He just trusts the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had that, that was all in his mind. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He had all those, those in his mind. He was filled with the spirit of, of God. Because of his character, it's a character that God was most concerned about in the life of Joseph. God was working. And here's the other part of this verse. I think this one flashed up a few times. This is Hebrews 12, verse 11. Uh-oh, they're backwards. This, Hebrews 12, 11 is the one I want. Can you find that one? There it is. No chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but painful Afterward, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Again, it's, it's that work that God's doing in our lives. So number one, in order to go from the pit to the palace, God 
is going to take time. Number two, and Joseph doesn't complain. He just trusts the Lord. He trusts the Lord with his life. He trusts the Lord with whatever God wants to do, whenever and however God wants to do it. He was just God's man. I'll just do whatever you want for me to do. I'll be a slave. That's what he wants. I'll be a prisoner. That's where you want me, Lord? That's, where I'll, that's what I'll be. Sounds like Paul to me. Know how to abase and how to abound. I can do all things through Christ. It just sounds like that to me, this man. So he's ready to be God's man. He goes from the prison to the palace, stands before Pharaoh, speaks the truth of God to him. I wonder how many of you are ready to be used for God today, to do whatever God wants you to do, whether it be in the pit or in the palace. We all want to get to the palace, right? We all want to be there. That's, that's the easy place. Nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to be humbled. But isn't he just a perfect picture of Jesus Christ who humbled himself, became the form of a servant, the likeness of men? Joseph, again, he's a picture of Christ. He's a type of Christ. He humbles himself, and then God elevates him and uses him. Listen, I believe that each of us every morning should wake up with this one goal in mind. God, how are you going to use me today? What's going to happen in my life today? Not how am I going to make the payment? How am I going to get through this job? It's so hot, I can't live or whatever. But, but to wake up in the morning and have this attitude that I believe Joseph had. That's why he didn't whine or complain. God, what are you going to do in my life today? What are you going to teach me? What is it that you want to take away and what is it that you want to add? What are you going to do in my life if you're a teacher? God, I have this great opportunity to influence my students today, teaching them biology or whatever it is, history. Father, help me to be the best teacher, to represent you in the best way I can. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a construction worker. And if you are, you should be saying, God, use me in my job today to glorify you. I can do all things through Christ. That's the lesson we learned from this. A business person, God, use my gifts of administration for your glory in the lives of these people that I deal with, police officers, firefighters, doctors, nurses, Working with confidence, believing that God is going to use you to save or help someone in need. What a privilege it is to live for the glory of God. That's the life of Joseph. That's what it represents. That's what we learn from his story. Humble Joseph is now the second most powerful man in the world. Why? Because he let God do what he The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how we need to live our lives, Christians. When you start living your life that way, that God is in control, that God is with me through every step, through every trial, through every difficulty, when you start living your life that way like Joseph, then God will do his elevation in your life from the pit to the palace in his time for his glory, for his purpose. Boy, it's so liberating to live that way instead of saying, I got to do this. I got to go here. I got to go there. But if you just trust in the Lord with all your heart, you don't try to understand life around you. I've got to watch the news tonight. 
got to figure out what's going on politically. Uh, i got to write my congressman and make things better. It's, it's a waste of time. You should write your congressman, by the way. We should be part of it. But it's a waste of time to think, listen, God, how are you going to use me today for your glory, for your purpose? How can I glorify you today in my job and in, in what I do? Humble Joseph. Now, notice here as we, I got to keep moving here. Pharaoh extends this power to Joseph, the ring. He gives him the ring. And he also gives him a new ride. I love this, verse 43. And he, had, and he had him ride in the second chariot, not the first one, you know, Air Force One. This is Air Force Two. The second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him. All the people that saw Joseph now, notice what they do. Bow the knees. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. In other words, you rule. I want you to rule. No one moves until you tell him to move. Uh, he gives him full authority here, verse, verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name. Here it is, Zaphnath Pinah. And he gave him a wife. This is another reward. He gets a car and he gets a wife. And her name is Asenath, the daughter of Potpharia, the priest of On. So the, everybody knows this Potpharia, who's the priest. Big shot, everybody knows. You know, they do these big organizations, big political things before the people and the, the priests would come out, you know, probably introducing like the MC. Everybody, so Pharaoh gives this man's daughter as his wife. She's recognized, she's an Egyptian. Everybody knows her and loves her. They don't know him. Who's this guy? This Hebrew dude. But he's dressed him up. He's given him a different name. And now he's going to be effective in his ministry. God is orchestrating all of this. There are those that say, you know, he's, he's uh, you know, compromising here. I, I don't see that personally. I don't see that because the, the Hebrew, the, none of the laws have been given to the Hebrews. They don't know they're not supposed to marry. These, they, all they know is they're not supposed to marry Canaanites. This is an Egyptian. And he is given this wife because he's given this position with a car and all these other things. So I just don't see it like some see he's compromising. I believe he's doing what God wants him to do. And his name, Zapnath-Penah, whatever, it means God speaks and he lives. I love that, that name there. This is Pharaoh who says, God spoke and God lives through you. And, and that's the name that Pharaoh gives him. Again, the importance of his new name would be for the people that he's going to govern, the wife, the people that he's going to govern. And kind of a real shrewd political move for the Pharaoh to do that in his life. Now, the chapter closes here with two purposes for us. First, it reveals the accuracy of the prophecy that, that Joseph has just interpreted for Pharaoh. Accurate. Because we're going to see that all of these things come to pass. Secondly, it proves that Joseph's skill, his administrative skill that God has honed from Potiphar's house now to the palace is effective. Thirdly, it reveals that Joseph's spiritual commitment is to 
the God of his fathers. My God, Elohim. Remember, he used that term, Elohim, which, by the way, is a plural name for God. It's not singular. Elohim, if you look it up. Genesis 1.1, God, it's, it's God, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, plural. Very interesting, in my view, pointing to the trinity of God. But he's faithful to his God. Even though the Hebrew religion is very infantile at this point in time. Uh, Pharaoh probably doesn't have a clue. He doesn't understand it all. He just knows there's a God there. And he's revealed the truth to him. So here in verse 46 through 57, we have this plan that's being implemented. Just the history of it here. Let's just read it real quick. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and he laid up food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surround them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea, a lot of grain, until he stopped counting. Why? Because you couldn't measure it. There was so much. It was coming out of the barns and out of the, the silos. It was everywhere. Joseph's administrative skills in all these different cities to get all this grain. Fantastic. Verse 50, and Joseph, and to Joseph were born two sons. Remember, he, he got a wife. Before the years of the famine came, who, who Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph gives them Hebrew names, by the way. Notice he calls the name of the firstborn Manasseh, meaning forgetful. For God has made me forget all my toil in my father's house. In verse 52, the name of the second was Ephraim, which means fruitful. For God caused him to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh and Ephraim, Hebrew names there, proving that Joseph hasn't forgotten the God of his fathers. He's being loyal to God. Verse 53, then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in the land, or in all lands, pardon me. So not just in Egypt, but the world. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. So he's, think about the political clout he has now. He's going to sell the corn maybe at a discount rate, but he's the only one doing business. It's going to make him filthy rich again. These Hebrews are living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise to Abraham, land and, and, and uh, wealth, it's all coming to fruition in this Hebrew's life, in this young man's life here. And he's, whatever he does, prospers. It's a, it's a blessing that God has given them. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried for bread. The Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do it. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries now came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. So that means Canaan. Who lives in Canaan? His family. See, God, God is providing for 
his people, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's sons, his 12 sons. And this one that was sold, this one that was almost killed, this one that was cast out by the brothers. God has a purpose for him, and he's using him for this mighty purpose to bring his family back together. Again, when you think about Joseph, you think about Joseph, I always think about Paul. Paul says this in Romans 8.28. Here's a verse I'll throw up on the screen. We know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Even though that was going to be written thousands of years in the future, I believe that this man, Joseph, is living that. And you'll remember last time, I gave you this list of of things that show that Joseph is a type of Christ. Their lives parallel in many different ways. Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd. Joseph prophesied his future glory. Brothers, you're going to bow down to me. Dad, sun, moon, and star, you're all going to bow down to me. Remember, he prophesied that. Jesus prophesied his future glory. They're both sold for a few pieces of silver. They both handed over to the Gentiles. They were both made servants. Tempted, Joseph tempted by Potiphar's wife, but they didn't sin. They both had the Spirit of God. We saw that tonight. The Spirit of God was in this man. They both were the source of the bread of life. That's an interesting one. While Joseph was in Egypt, he was given a Gentile bride. Jesus looks forward to that day when he brings and gathers his bride, the church. Joseph was the savior of the known world at that time because of the famine. Jesus is the savior of the world because of sin. And one final thought here, one parallel that I really like. Ultimately, it was the brothers of Joseph that sold him and tried to waste him. They have to now come to him for salvation. Just as every man, woman, and child has to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. The parallels, when you look at these two men, they're, they're uncanny. John 6.37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Here's the bottom line, and I'll just end with this thought. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're in a famine. You're in the famine of the soul. And God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, everything that you need to be rich. Everything. I'm talking spiritual riches, eternal life, the blessing of knowing God and having your sins forgiven. You're in a famine if you don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he died. He, he died in your place. He took your sin to the cross. And if you trust him, you'll have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for this wonderful story of, of this man. In the later chapters here of Genesis chapter 41, I, I just am so grateful for this story. And I'm praying, Lord, for these, your people, to learn and to grow from each of the, the, the people and the lives and the, the, the different encounters they have. Lord, that we would see 
that you're the God of yesterday, today, and forever, that you don't change in any way, shape, or form. Your grace is wonderful. Your work in the life of Joseph is like the work you're doing in our lives. And Lord, for those that are in the pit tonight as a Christian, I I just pray that you would encourage their hearts, help them to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help them to trust you. And if there are any here tonight, Lord, that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior, they're in a famine. I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you even now, that they would confess their sin to you, Lord Jesus, and you being the bread of life will take their sin away and give them eternal life if they'll only believe in you. Father, thank you for your wonderful plan. Thank you for this story. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.